As uh, some of you probably know, uh, yesterday uh, the U.S. government approved another $1.9 trillion in uh, you know, aid related to the pandemic, uh, part of which will be a check that uh, I'm guessing probably most of us will receive in the mail. Uh, if, you, if you make less than 75000 as an individual or less than 150000 I think, as a couple or a family, uh, you can expect a, a check in the mail. And um, I confess that I'm pretty happy. You know, I like getting free money, right? That's the way I feel about it. But a lot of people are not happy, uh, understandably, because uh, they realize that uh, we're going to have to pay, pay it back. Right? Uh, this is the United States government that's giving us the check. And uh, they, they can't just print money. If they just printed money, um, at the end of the day, uh, nobody is going to believe that there's any value for the dollar. And uh, the money will become devaluated, and we're going to have uh, high uh, interest rates and uh, everybody will be looking for something other than U.S. dollars in order to uh, preserve their wealth. So the United States is going to have to pay back uh, for the, all this money, the $1.9 trillion plus, I don't know, maybe $3 trillion uh, they used last year to try to stem the uh, financial crisis that stemmed from the pandemic. Uh, now, I'm not against it. I'm not here to, to have a political opinion. Uh, but the people who are concerned about it, uh, justly so, because they realize we'll have to pay it back. Uh, and actually, we're going to have to pay more of it back with interest by uh, paying more taxes in the future or potentially reducing spending. There's two ways the United States can uh, make up for, for all this money they're giving away, either by raising our taxes in the future or by reducing their spending. Uh, and uh, so, so it'll, it'll all have to be paid for later on. Um, now, um, some people think the same about God's offer of, of salvation. God offers to save us uh, from our sins and to give us uh, a place in heaven uh, with him for all of eternity. And that's the message that's uh, been preached for 2,000 years because that's what uh, Jesus taught, but a lot of people are afraid that there's a catch to it. Uh, if they uh, receive Jesus as their Savior, they're going to have to pay. Uh, they're not just going to uh, uh, enjoy a free salvation, but that there's uh, something that will be required of them. They'll have to give money, uh, or they'll have to do things that um, they, uh, they won't want to do uh, to it. And so I'm hoping that the passage today will alleviate uh, those fears and assure us of uh, the freeness of God's salvation. It really is for free. God really doesn't expect us to pay him back uh, for the salvation he gives us. Uh, so let's uh, go ahead and, with that introduction, look at, uh, at, at God's word in Matthew chapter 17, uh, verses, verse 22 uh, to 27. Matthew 17, 22 to 27. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, 
and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for, for me and you. So there's two uh, sections to this passage. So let's go ahead and, and take a look at the first section, verse 22 through 23, uh, where Jesus warns his disciple again about his death. If you remember, he already did it in chapter uh, 16. And uh, this is a practical warning because it really will happen. Jesus really will die uh, and, and rise again. And, uh, but his disciples were not uh, really aware of that or thinking of that. They, their idea of the Messiah uh, was uh, for him to, to take his throne in Jerusalem and rule over Israel and rule over the whole world. And they will be uh, disabused, sadly, when Jesus uh, is crucified. And so Jesus is preparing them for that time, so they won't be surprised when it happened, and assures them that he will rise from the dead. It wasn't the end of his ministry when he was crucified. It was a climax, uh, because there he paid for our sins, as we uh, spoke about this morning. Uh, but it wasn't the end, because he rose again on the third day to demonstrate um, the fact that he is still God and that in his death on the cross, he paid for our sins and, uh, and that uh, we too will be raised from the dead. So there's many uh, good reasons of why Jesus said it, um, but we see here his disciples respond uh, to this news, which shouldn't quite be news to them anymore, uh, by being exceedingly sorrowful. They were very very sad when Jesus told them that this would happen uh, to him. And some have, have well pointed out, well, it seems like they only heard the first part and not the second part of what Jesus was saying. But even had they uh, believed that he would rise from the dead, uh, without understanding uh, the gospel, they could still be very sad about the fact Jesus would have to suffer. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody would like to be crucified, uh, even if they knew they would be raised again from the dead. It's a dreadful, uh, it's a dreadful death to die. Um, and uh, but, uh, so we we could note an improvement because last time Jesus told this to his disciples, uh, Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him, and I think we all would agree that Peter was out of place. In, uh, in rebuking Jesus, but I would um, suggest to you that the disciples are also out of place in being exceedingly sorrowful. Uh, we can understand, uh, we can sympathize 
with the sorrow, uh, with the limited understanding and point of view, but it's not quite right. Jesus said this in Matthew 9. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? This was a response to John's disciples who were asking why um, uh, Jesus' uh, disciples were not fasting regularly like they were and the Pharisees. And Jesus associated uh, fasting with mourning. And he says, no, they shouldn't be mourning while I'm with them, right? Uh, they should be joyful because I'm joyful uh, in their midst. And so for the disciples to be uh, exceedingly sorrowful uh, in the presence of Jesus uh, suggests there's something wrong there. And, and certainly it's because of their lack of understanding of what it was that Jesus were doing. Um, I was trying to think of an illustration of, uh, of being sorrowful uh, and that being uh, inappropriate. And uh, one I came up with was a, a young woman being kidnapped, uh, perhaps by uh, terrorists. And uh, they uh, put up a ransom request. So this happens perhaps uh, in Nigeria and other countries sometimes. People will get kidnapped, and then the kidnappers will ask for a ransom. And there was a person who really loved this woman, uh, perhaps you know, unbeknownst to her, and uh, he's willing to pay a tremendous sum that was uh, required by the kidnappers. And, uh, and so they, they take the money, they release the woman, and, and he's so joyful to have her, have her back. And uh, when she understands uh, how much she had to give to get her out, uh, she's mournful. She's sad at the cost to him of having to redeem her at such a price. And, uh, and I would again say that that's inappropriate uh, because the man is joyful. He, he thought the price was well worth paying in order to redeem uh, his beloved and so for her to be mournful, thinking of the cost to him, uh, is out of place. Uh, but that's the same is true in regards to us and the Lord Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 13. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy and buys uh, that field. Uh, we are like a treasure hidden in a field. You would say that some of us were well hidden. It's not obvious to us that we are such treasures. And yet Jesus, when he finds us, uh, he is so excited that uh, he goes, it says here, with joy and sells all that he has uh, to buy that field. Uh, Jesus gave his all for you and for me, but he did it with joy. In uh, Hebrews, I think it says, uh, who for the joy that was set before him, he despised the cross, right? He didn't think much of what he had to pay for you and for me. I was convicted of this uh, as I was thinking about sometime my attitude in the breaking of bread, and, and Jesus did command us to remember him in the breaking of bread, and the bread represents his body given for us, and the, the wine or the grape juice represent his blood uh, that was shed for us. And there can be an over-focus, in my opinion, 
in the cost to the Lord Jesus. I mean, we could, we could think of all the sufferings that he went through for us and, and perhaps be led to be very sorrowful that he had to pay. But really, his desire for us is that we focus on the blessing to us that came from his death. Uh, the bread is a picture of provision. That was the basic unit of food in Jesus' day. That's what you need to live on. Uh, Jesus' death became our provision for eternal life. And, and grape juice or wine is described in the Bible as a picture of joy. Uh, if you remember in that uh, parable spoken by uh, Gideon's son to Abimelech, uh, after Abimelech uh, became king over Israel, and he talks about the different trees of the field and how uh, the forest wanted different trees to reign over them, and they asked one tree after another and, and all shook their heads until the briar, which pictures Abimelech, finally accepts their responsibility. When they asked the vine, the vine says, should I cease from producing uh, my, my fruit, uh, uh, the wine that gives joy both to men and to God, right? That is, that is the purpose of, of, the, of the wine or the grape juice, is really to picture the joy we should have in the Lord Jesus because of his salvation of us. So certainly we remember his death in the breaking of bread, but the purpose is to appreciate his love for us. In fact, in the Bible, it refers to this feast as... Uh, as a love feast, agape. That was the name given to the breaking of bread, um, I think by the apostle Jude, literally meaning love. This is what we're, we're celebrating his love. We're, we're feasting on his love as we break bread uh, together. And so we should. Okay, so that was the first uh, half of our passage. The second half is quite interesting as uh, the, the group moves on to Capernaum, and uh, it says those who received the temple tax came to Peter. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they came knocking at his door. Uh, Peter had a house in uh, Capernaum, and perhaps these guys came knocking, and uh, they said, um, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? It's possible Jesus was inside the house as these guys were knocking on the door and say, hey, uh, we don't have any record of Jesus paying. Now, we know Peter also didn't pay, and, uh, and probably quite a few other people in Capernaum haven't paid uh, their tax. There was no uh, political power, as I understand, uh, by these tax collectors who collected uh, for the temple tax. The Romans, when the Romans' uh, time uh, to be paid came, uh, they had the power of the state behind them, and if you didn't pay their taxes, uh, you could be thrown in jail or worse. Uh, but these uh, temple tax collectors uh, didn't have that power. All they could do is give you a guilt trip. Come on, don't you support God's work? Don't you care about the glory of the temple of God? Don't you care about these offerings that are being made there? Uh, they need to be financially supported. And uh, if you don't uh, pay, it shows that you and God are not... Um, don't have a right relationship, right? If you really cared about God and loved God, wanted to provide for God, uh, for God's work, you would be paying the temple tax, right? That's what uh, these guys were effectively saying. Now, there's no command in the Bible 
for this tax. Uh, there is a command for people to be tithing, to be bringing in uh, the fruit of the field and, uh, and of their animals. Uh, so technically, all this should be provided for by just this free will offering of the people, or not exactly free will offering, but this regular tithing. It's not clear where this temple tax exactly came from, but it is possible that there was a real practical need. People weren't tithing, or maybe as the uh, society was turning from being simply an ag agrarian society where everybody had their field into uh, people who had prof other professions where they did not produce um, they did not produce uh, fruits or, or animals, uh, maybe it was reasonable to start trying to collect monetary taxes in, instead. So there may be some practical reasons behind having this tax. Uh, it's not clear that Jesus was completely against it. We'll see later on. He actually pays the tax. But there's certainly something wrong in how they're approaching about it, in how they're guilt-tripping people into feeling like they have to pay this tax in order to have a right relationship with God. This was, a, this was a set amount tax. Everybody had to pay a particular amount. It wasn't based on percentages. So some people could be really just not have this amount of money uh, to pay for it. And to tell someone that you, you're not, you don't have a right relationship with God because you don't have this kind of money is certainly not of God as we, as we will see in this passage. Okay. Um, and so Peter goes inside. Uh, now, it's interesting. Peter actually said yes, which means yes, he does pay his taxes, uh, which was slightly presumptuous of him, I think, but he just kind of assumed, well, I know Jesus is a man of God, and, and, and for sure he won't uh, fail to, uh, to support God's work. And he comes in, and it says Jesus anticipated him, um, and asks him this question, uh, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Now, we don't actually have uh, kings uh, of the earth. We have presidents, and we actually expect our presidents to pay their taxes as well. And in fact, uh, Trump was getting into quite a bit of trouble. I don't know all the details of it because uh, people felt he wasn't paying his fair share of taxes. They wanted the records to be publicized. But, um, but in those days, uh, when you had kings, uh, the kings didn't pay tax. And, uh, and guess what? The king's sons also didn't pay taxes. It was the, uh, you know, the worker, you know, the common people <coughs> that really were responsible to pay uh, most of the taxes. And... Uh, and so Peter knows the correct answer. And, and it's obvious why, because the kings, now the kings did have, they did need uh, funds, right? Because they would have the, you know, fancy palaces uh, to keep fancy. They had servants to pay. Uh, they had armies to raise. Uh, so there was, there was a real need for these taxes, right? The kings weren't necessarily wrong in, in, in asking uh, for the citizens of the kingdom to pay taxes. But uh, they wouldn't ask their sons to provide uh, for these needs that they had uh, because they, uh, they loved their sons, right? And they didn't want to see their sons uh, impoverished. 
And instead, they were really thinking about the fact that their sons would reign after them. And really, I'm gathering wealth uh, for the purpose of making my son uh, rich as well, right? Really, their, their sons were sharing in the wealth of the kings themselves. And the king's uh, wealth was invested in their own children to uh, make their children successful and, and at least one of them to be king after them. So, so certainly they wouldn't be charging their own sons taxes. Uh, and Peter knows the answer, right? Peter said to him, from strangers. And then Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, very clearly, uh, there is an application for us here, right? Uh, Jesus wasn't thinking of kings and king's sons. He was thinking of this tax that was being collected <coughs> by uh, the temple tax collectors. And uh, the suggestion that uh, you had to pay that tax if you wanted to be right uh, in the sight of God. And, and this uh, happens today uh, in some churches or other religious organizations. My parents are not believers in the Lord Jesus. They uh, used to go uh, to, to temple, to a, they call it temple, it's really a synagogue. And, uh, and as they started going, uh, they were approached by the authorities of the synagogue and said, uh, there's a, a cost to running this synagogue and we expect all our members to help share uh, in that cost. Uh, so if you want to be part of this synagogue, uh, we need to evaluate your financial resources and we will tell you how much you have to pay in order to be members uh, of the synagogues. So I don't know if it was supposed to be 10% or some other fraction of their wealth. And, uh, my parents said, uh, no thanks, <laughs> we don't want to pay to be members. Now again, my parents were not, um, you know, obviously Christians, and they were not even particularly religious Jews, so, you know, it was uh, easy for them to do, but over the years, many times, people have been really pressed into paying in order to, to feel they had the right relationship with God. This was one of the main grounds of the Protestant movement uh, at the time, the Catholic Church uh, pretty much ruled over Europe, and uh, the Pope wanted to build a new uh, cathedral in Rome, and it was going to be magnificent, which meant it was going to be expensive, and so he needed money raised, and he sent his uh, officials throughout all of Europe to raise money, and they said, uh, you could have your sins forgiven, uh, and get your uh, relatives out of purgatory if you give money. And, and that's how they would raise money uh, based on people's desire to be right with God. They felt they had uh, to pay. And so Jesus is making very clear in this passage that that's not the case. Uh, first of all, he calls us here sons, <clears throat> and, and that's what the Bible teaches when Jesus uh, saves us. He makes us the sons of God. In John 1, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So if you have received Jesus as your savior, if you have believed in his name, you are a son of God. You are a child of God. In uh, Romans, 
8, we were looking at the passages before and after it during our breaking of bread today. Uh, Romans 8, verse um, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is uh, the equivalent of the word Daddy in the Hebrew language. That is our nearness to God. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This kind of ties back to why would a king not charge his son's taxes? Well, because really uh, the son's wealth comes from uh, the father, they're connected. And so our own uh, richness is tied up with God. He doesn't want to take from us in order to uh, satisfy his own needs. It's rather the other way around. Our needs are satisfied by him. Uh, he would be willing to impoverish himself for our well-being, not the other way around. And in fact, he did. Jesus made himself poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. There's a passage I like in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I don't know uh, if you like acronyms, uh, one of the acronyms I like is that of the Bible. Bible means basic instructions before leaving earth. Right? That spells the Bible. There's another one for grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? And that is what we have. We have God's riches at Christ's expense. Continuing on in verse 6 and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, all describing our salvation, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Some of us have the wrong idea that when we get to heaven, people might be impressed with all the things we did to, uh, to please God. Well, that's not what heaven is about. It's actually, it says here, uh, it's to show off all the wonderful things God did for us. That's what heaven is actually about, right? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants to fill the ages to come. He wants to fill them with showing all the wonderful things that God did for us. So why should we be concerned in this world about what we do for God? We should be concerned with what he does for us. Right? That is, that is what heaven will be about, or eternity will be about, is the revelation of all the grace that God has shown us, all the riches we receive from God in this world, uh, is what God wants to post on the, on the billboards of heaven to show forth his riches 
told us. So certainly he's not interested in how much money we give him here on earth. That is not, that is not God's priority. He wants us to realize how much he wants to bless us. He wants us to realize the riches that he makes available to us at this time. And in fact, he'll get to go over them in detail uh, in heaven for all of eternity. That's what God is pleased with. Okay, so that's the lesson that he had uh, for Peter. Now we see that Jesus does pay his taxes. He says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So what can we learn about by Jesus paying his taxes first? We see here uh, evidence of his divine mission. Uh, When I have to pay my taxes, uh, I can't go to the ocean and and pull out a a fish and expect to find uh, what I owe uh, in the mouth of the fish. Only God can do that. Right. And, uh, and something about that that kind of shows here is our taxes, or whatever we give to God, rather, uh, must be uh, God's provision. Right? We don't, I don't have anything to give to God that God did not first give to me. And uh, David understood that well when he was giving, and, and David gave more than anybody else ever gave financially, uh, for the work of God. You could go and, and read that in 1 Chronicle 29, 14 and add the weight of gold that uh, David gave. And I think it's in today's value of gold, it would be over a billion dollars that they, King David gave for the building of God's uh, temple. But what did David say in 1 Chronicle 29, 14? He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Right? It was God's. God gave it to me, and I gave some of it back to God. So, I mean, I think it's wonderful that we can give to the Lord, but we must recognize we can't claim uh, we don't have any claim on God because God first gave it to us, right? And in fact, we never give back to God as much as he gave to us, right? We can't because we need to subsist. <laughs> I need to survive on what God provides for me. I can never give back to him everything he gives to me. But um, it's wonderful to be able to give, and Jesus clearly was not against giving, but it's good to recognize that what we give the Lord actually came first to us from him. And it's also something that's interesting to me here. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus probably had funds available uh, that were set aside for other work. There was a money bag, if you remember, that, that Judas carried around. And uh, the only time I, I kind of remember uh, an instruction to use those resources uh, or a suggestion of it was... Uh, when, when uh, Jesus sends uh, Judas away and says what you do, do quickly, if you look at the passage in John, it says that they thought Jesus was giving Judas instruction to buy something to give to the poor. And uh, actually, that's not what Jesus was doing at that passage. He was telling Judas, you know, you're going to betray me, do it. 
But, uh, but it suggests that the general use of the general fund <laughs> that Jesus was carrying around with him was to provide for the poor. And Jesus wasn't going to take out of that to give to the temple. Because giving to the poor you know, was, was either a higher priority or it's what that money was already designated for. When people gave to Jesus, it wasn't for Jesus to live like a king because he never used money for that purpose. It was to give to others. And so Jesus was not going to use that for the temple, which unfortunately at this particular time was not really used for God's glory. Right? It was used for those... Uh, for the religious authorities to really milk people. I mean, we see when Jesus actually came to the temple a couple of times, he was quite angry with how the temple was being run because it was used to make money uh, through the uh, unfair money exchange and selling of animals. Uh, so Jesus didn't really support what was going on in the temple. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he does give in this passage. And the reason he specifically gives of why he gives is not to offend them. It says, lest, lest we offend them. They would not understand, right? If Jesus did not give taxes, uh, many people would not have understood why Jesus would not have paid taxes. And it would have been a stumbling point for them. It was like, well, if he won't even support the temple, you know, I'm not going to listen to what he says. And uh, it was so important for Jesus that people would not be offended and would not have a reason not to listen to him, that he would pay uh, the taxes. And it's uh, consistent with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33. It says, Give no offense neither to the Jew nor to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So we want to be careful not to stumble people unnecessarily. So people will be offended at us when we, we hold with the truth, right? I'm not going to lie uh, to people uh, or, or do something wrong uh, in order to not offend people. But if there was nothing strictly wrong with paying the temple tax, Jesus would do it because it, otherwise it would have caused people to stumble and would have prevented them from the opportunity of being uh, saved. Okay, uh, what's the application from this passage? The big one uh, is there's no catch in God's offer of salvation. He offers it uh, for free. Uh, there, is, there is a free salvation for all offered and the result of being saved, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, is you become a child of God. And you get to enjoy all of God's riches for all of eternity. And, and continue to appreciate him more and more. And uh, so if you have not yet taken God at his word and received his free salvation, uh, why not do it today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your uh, goodness, for your riches toward us. The fact that... Uh, you want to pour upon us all the riches of heaven, and you have, in fact, done so through your son's work of salvation on our uh, behalf. Lord, our desire is that others would come to know. Help us, Lord, be uh, proclaimers of this truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.